Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. I'm really excited to uh, introduce our speaker to you this morning. Uh, John Gorvette is going to be bringing the message this morning as we start this new series, Four People. And I'm really excited for you to hear from him. John and Lindsay came to be a part of the Zero Collective, our network of churches, what, four years ago we were talking about this morning, right? In May, it'll be four years. And um, he pastors Center Church, our church that's in Byron Center. And over the last four years, uh, the church has really experienced a turnaround under John's leadership. And some really incredible things have been happening. In the last couple, uh, in the next couple of weeks, they're going to be moving into their first ever permanent space, which is just an awesome thing to be able to celebrate. Yeah, we can celebrate that. And um, so, John, just incredibly proud of you and the leadership um, you've offered. You guys have heard John speak a couple times before, but it's been a little while. And so John and Lindsay are expecting their first as well. So that's a really exciting thing to have both of them here. So that's even bigger than the, the church Pray news. For me. Pray for me. Um, but uh, yeah, God has just been good in that area. So I'm excited for you to hear from John as he speaks. Can we officially just welcome him as he comes to bring the message? <laughs> Uh, as Brian said, it's been really wild to be able to be up here just over the last couple of years. And next month will be four years that we've got to serve alongside of you, but in uh, in that role at Center Church. So it's really weird how fast time goes. And uh, we are expecting our first in like a month from now. So if Lindsay does get up and leave, pray for me immediately because you never know. You just never know. Okay, I'm just saying, like, you never know. Uh, but yeah, seriously, thank you again for the opportunity to be with you. Um, it's funny, as you do ministry together, as you do life together, it's fun to have other people who are on the same journey as you and other churches that are on the same journey as you. And so even just by nature of your presence here and you serving here and getting to see God just do incredible things here at Frontline, it's an encouragement to me. It's an encouragement to us at Center Church, knowing that the best is yet to come, the best days are ahead. And so again, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I wasn't sure if I would make it here, to be honest. I wasn't sure if I was actually going to be here today because about a month ago, Lindsay and I decided that why not add a little bit more chaos to our lives and remodel our kitchen. And so that's what we did. Honestly, uh, it was about a month ago we started this process. We just said, uh, we sat around in our house long enough during COVID like some of you and we're like, we need to do something. We need to figure this out. We had just moved into our house a year before that. It's a beautiful 1960s ranch that looks like a 1960s ranch. Okay, so everything inside is original. Uh, it, some of it's really nice, and some of it is very 1960s ranch, and it's just out of date. And so we decided, let's tackle the kitchen. We've done a lot of other projects. So let me show you what it looked like before. So this is kind of the, the beautiful before. This is our incredible kitchen that has served us well, but you can see that there's literally chunks of drywall just hanging out there. And we decided we should probably do something about that. So it was a couple Saturdays ago, I got some friends together and I said, let's just gut this thing. Let's gut it because I know that Lindsay's stepdad is going to come and and has about a week or so that we're going to try to do the entire kitchen in seven days. You're laughing because I'm an idiot, right? (laughs) 
That's why you're laughing. You're laughing because you know that's not humanly possible and you're totally right. Uh, it's not. But here's a picture of what it looked like gutted. So it already looks better. Like I, somehow that looks better to me than the original before picture. Uh, so I was like, we should just figure out how to live with this thing. So anyway, we do this week and a half of work. We got this whole thing. We start right away, basically Saturday night after we'd cleared this Saturday morning. So we got to get after this. We got about uh, seven to 10 days to really get this done, to move on. Baby's coming. Uh, we're moving into our new church building. So there's a lot of projects with that. And so we said, we have about a seven to 10 day timeline. Let's do it. So look at what though we pulled off in seven to 10 days. I just want to show you kind of the finished product. No, I'm totally kidding. That's like a Netflix picture. That's not me. No way. No way. No, we don't know each other super well, but you know, I'm not that skilled. Like there's no way that's happening. That's like a McGee & Co. studio, like dream kitchen that probably took months and millions. And that's neither of those things I had. And so we are still working on it. <laughs> it's still in progress. We have some things that even today I'm like, maybe I should get to that, but I'll probably end up watching other people do kitchen work than I will actually do the kitchen work. Well, what's funny is as you start any, any home renovation project, you know this is true. Like if you are planning to do something in an older home, you know that you're going to find things that are broken. You're just going to find things that they are so out of code, it's not even funny. They didn't even think about code when they put these things in. So we started this project Sunday morning. I, I went and preached and then came back, and Lindsay stepped out and I started work on this. But we found thing after thing that was just not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, ductwork, that was really bad. Uh, plumbing lines, electrical issues. It took us like two or three days just behind the scenes to even get ready to put anything new in this kitchen, we just kept finding things that were broken. Like uh, how many of you know that it's, it's never one trip to Home Depot? It's never one trip. Like, honestly, they gave me an apron and a tax form at the end of this week. They're like, welcome to Home Depot. We're happy to have you on staff. Because I, I was there all the time. I just kept finding things that were broken. And it's funny because what I did in those situations was how do I buy something that's going to be a quick fix? How do we make sure that we get the right help or look it up on YouTube and figure out how do we do this? And that's what I did when things are broken. Uh, but in your life, I mean, put kitchens renovation to the side. What do you do when things are broken in your world? What do we do when things are broken in our lives? Sometimes that's just a relationship. Sometimes it's a physical illness. Sometimes it's a financial decision that messed us up. What do you do when things are broken is one of the most important questions about you. What do you do when things are broken? Uh, what do you do? Because for me, I look back even over this last year and as we head into, and we're about a fourth, a third of the way really through this, this year we're in right now. As I'm sitting here, just like you are in April, 2021, uh, it seems like every time you actually fix something, something else breaks. There's a vaccine, but then there's a new variant with a bunch of numbers and letters from a different country you've never heard of. Well, what do you do when things are broken? Maybe you have encountered uh, a great like, movement forward in your marriage this year. And some of you have. It's been actually a year that strengthened your relationship with your spouse. Well, what happens when your marriage gets better and your kid starts failing high school? What do you do when things are broken? What happens when for you and just like me, you have moments where you work really hard at something, you finally save enough for that new car and then the furnace dies. And you're like, I guess I'm not gonna get that new car anymore. 
And those are all quite trivial, and they're all things that on the surface you can probably figure out and address. But what happens when you think you're growing in faith, or you just got baptized a week ago? You think you're strong, you think your foundation's really solid, and then the blood clots come back. And you're sitting in a doctor's office again. Or you think, hey, I'm finally living. I finally have freedom in Christ. I'm finally stepping out and fulfilling my calling. I'm doing the faith that we're thing. I'm figuring out how to move forward. And then a crisis hits, something hit in your last week. And you find yourself in the Myers self-checkout line with a six-pack again. And then it happens the next night. And the next night, and people don't know, but you are slowly drowning in that same addiction you thought you were free from. What do you do when things are broken? Again, how you answer that question, friends, changes everything about your relationship with God. And one of the best questions we can ask right after that is what does God do when things are broken? Because you and I probably have some answers and maybe some level of solution, but what's most important, the reason we're gathered in this room or gathered together digitally is to figure out what does God say about what happens when things are broken? What is his response? And so I want you uh, to join me in this text. I want you to engage with me in this text because there are some things that you may learn and we may grasp today that will radically change your life, that will radically transform how you interact with the spouse, how you make this next money decision, how you process through a parenting challenge or a new parenting challenge. I wanna take you to John 1. In John 1 is really the beginning of John, the the disciple's basic gospel account, his gospel biographical account of Jesus, things that he wanted you to know. And this is how he starts. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 9. It'll be on the screen. You can read it on your text as well. This is what he says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, into you and I's brokenness. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Though he stepped into our brokenness, the world didn't actually recognize him. He came to that which was his own. It was us, but his own didn't receive him. They rejected or neglected him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, people like you and me who who decided to surrender and to commit our entire lives to Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. These are very personal terms. Let's keep reading. And this is what he says at the end of this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling, his house. He stepped into our neighborhood. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. What's really striking about this passage and something, I've, I've heard this in church so many times that I've missed it, I feel like every single time, is that the way God responds to brokenness and, and messed up systems in our world and messed up relationships, messed up family members in your own life is not with a better set of laws. Like if I was God, like just play with me, you don't want that to be true, but just pretend I was God for a moment. For me, I'd be like, okay, obviously the 10 commandments didn't cut it. Let's come up with 20. Like, let's update them. Let's get, get them updated, get them upgraded. Let's just go a little bit further with them. Let's, let's roll out 20 new commandments. This is how you should live. This is how you should make the world better. That's what I would do. Or maybe you would say, well, we just need a better formula. If you just give us a way to earn salvation and we actually knew how to do it, 
if we could actually fix our own lives, you just gave us the plan, the blueprint, that would be better. Or some of you are like, hey, I just lived through the, the hellish last year that our family encountered. I wish he would just come along and wipe the planet out and we try again. <laughs> like, let's just get a new planet. Let's just relocate to figure out if there's life on Mars or not. And then let's go there. Let's just start this entire human project all over again. But that's not what God says he did. What God says he did in response to the brokenness of our world is he sent somebody. He sends somebody. He allows himself to be humbled, to be taken advantage of, to walk with us, to experience what Hebrews says was being tempted in every single way we were, yet was without sin. It's the fact that God sends his own son to us. His response to brokenness in the world is he sends somebody. He sends somebody to us. He doesn't look down upon us condemning from his, his high tower. He doesn't associate himself like so many other gods of people who have been reading John or are familiar in this Greco-Roman world with this culture, which, which viewed God as something abstract and of cosmic force you had to appease. No, he actually sends somebody. He steps in. Here's the problem, though, we run into with this. If you've been around church for any length of time, you have the same problem I have reading this text, is that we tend to, to handle Jesus, to look at Jesus, and tend to handle him one of two ways. Some of you, like me, grew up thinking of Jesus solely as a divine character, someone who was super powerful, who walked on water, who did cosmic wonders, who, who left people's jaws on the floor, who somehow turned water into wine at a wedding. That's how I view Jesus. But here's the problem. If you think of Jesus solely as a divine character, he will always remain distant from you. You'll feel far off. He won't feel like you actually can see or touch his real character. He'll be insulated from your suffering. He doesn't understand what it's like to have cancer. He doesn't understand what it's like to suffer in your physical body. He doesn't get having a broken relationship with a close family member or a spouse. He doesn't get any of that. He'll always remain distant and unrelatable. But if you find yourself thinking solely about Jesus as human, you have a problem too. We have a problem. Because if Jesus is solely a human figure, just a good teacher, he remains powerless to change your life. I have some great friends. Hopefully you have good friends in your life. I have an awesome spouse. I have a great family system. I have incredible parents. But if you really wanna get down into the nitty gritty of my life and the things that deeply need to change, none of those people can help me. It's only a relationship with the living Christ, with the risen son of God that actually can transform me. So if you just think about Jesus as a really good human being, just a great example, Jesus, you are just the, the ultimate human. He's gonna be powerless to change your everyday life. He's almost too friendly too friendly to where you can't be challenged or convicted or he can't press on something or allow something to actually go under the hard work of restoration. And that's why John is so intentional in these verses we read. He uses two phrases that if you're a Jewish reader reading John 1 for the first time, you would have immediately got this. He says something in verse 12 about uh, the fact that we have to believe in the name. In the name really has this divine connotation in the Greek. It has this idea of divinity and sovereignty and cosmic authority. 
It's believing in the name, not believing in yourself or saying, if I add Jesus to my life, I can fix it good enough and I can hopefully make it to heaven. It's, it's like believing in something so far outside of your comfort zone and out of your understanding. It's believing in the name. But then he says in verse 14, which I love, uh, Eugene Peterson, who's a sc- biblical scholar who just passed away recently, uh, actually wrote this in John 1.14 in his message paraphrase. He says, that God moved into the neighborhood. God put skin and bones on, became one of us. This is the incarnation. This is the reminder, friends, that God has always been for people. He's always been invested in people just like you and just like me. But just like the Jews reading this account, you and I bump into another problem. Because depending on how you grew up in church, the fact that God sends somebody actually ends up messing with us. It ends up messing with how we process this world, how we approach broken people. Let me put it this way. Um, I grew up thinking what I needed, this is a nice blue Yeti microphone. This is a a really great microphone and it's actually kind of heavy and big. (laughs) This is a great microphone, but here's what I grew up believing. What I need is just a, a great microphone. I need people in my life to know I'm a Christian. Here's what God says about politics or sexuality or abortion or race. You need to know what God says. And if you get that, then you'll be fine. You'll fix the brokenness on your own. What I thought I needed was just a better microphone, a better thing, a a louder mouthpiece. But I'm going to invite my friend Brian up here. He doesn't even know I'm doing this, but this is like what I get to do when I'm a guest. So I'm going to invite him up here for a moment. He had no clue I'm doing this, and I probably won't tell. Well, now you know for a second, but you don't know for first, so this is raw. You're getting the real deal here. What God says is not that he got a bigger microphone or a megaphone to yell at you louder and just hope that you get it. What God does is he sets down a microphone, he asks for a hand, and he walks with us. He sends somebody. He looks at someone who's broken or far away, says, I'm not just gonna yell at them louder. I'm not just gonna figure that out. I'm gonna gonna come around next to them and I'm gonna walk with them. I've sent somebody to the broken people in our world. I'm, I'm not just gonna do something about it from on high. I'm going to incarnate myself and move down and become personal to you where I can look you in the eye. I can have a meaningful relationship with you and that's where change starts to take place. That's where real transformation and healing and restoration starts to take place. Give it up for your lead pastor, Brian. (laughs) But that's what's so powerful about this idea of the incarnation. It's so powerful to remind that God has always been for people. His heart bleeds for people. His heart is concerned for people. And what we get sucked into thinking, and we wrongly hope sometimes, and I fell into this trap too, that our beliefs, our Facebook posts, our arguments, our clear debates, strategies, and tactics, that's what will change the world, but it never does. Arguments alone, debates alone, posts alone, they will never truly change the world. What changes the world is people who actually embody those beliefs and they take action and they move in the direction of the brokenness in their circle, in their world, in their family, say, I am going to help do something about this. By the power of the Spirit, by the grace given to me, I'm going to take action. It becomes believable when people embody those beliefs deeply. 
this is what God does. He actually sends somebody. He's always been for people. Can I just put the kind of pastor hat and pastor role aside for a second, just be a friend? Here's the, here's the struggle I have is that there are literally people and businesses and news outlets, media organizations, whose primary goal and primary revenue stream is convincing you who you need to be against, not who you're for, not who to be for. Just here's the people you shouldn't like today. Here's the political leader you should make fun of today. Here's the person you should mock or harass or talk about at work around the water cooler. Here's the person you should be against and get against them. That's not at all what God does to his enemies. He steps in, he, he, he allows himself to be sent. And it's a totally counterintuitive thing that so many of us miss out on what God really wants to do through our lives because we're so concerned about being against the right people. Let's be for people again. Let's love people again. Let, let's get back to the original vision that God has created us this is why if you read through the rest of the New Testament, following John's story and reading to the, if you have a physical Bible, you literally turn or you swipe next into the next book, it's Acts, where the church is birthed. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them to reach people, not to be a better Christian club or organization, but to be clear on the truth and to embody that truth so radically that people ask questions and they're curious, who do you follow? Who do you serve? Who, who is your Lord? Because we're not getting this from the Caesar. We're not getting this from the Roman officials that we interact with. There has to be someone different. They became effective somebodies. They became effective people who were sent. <laughs> it's funny because I was preaching something very similar to this last weekend. It was Easter weekend. We had incredible, we had people sign up to get baptized in a couple weeks. We're moving into the building. People were saved. And one of the questions that, or one of the verses we read was 2 Corinthians 5, which you all know the beginning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, say it with me, creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Incredible. Put that on your Pinterest board, tattoo it on your forearm. It's a great verse. All of us probably are aware of that verse, but we often miss what he says right after this. I missed it. Some of you never even read this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, listen to what Paul says right after that. He is committed to us, you and I, the message of reconciliation. We, you, me, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, through us. Not a new formula, not a new pattern, not a new set of commandments, not even a better sermon, but through you and me through our decisions to embody our beliefs so deeply that it transforms the broken people and broken systems in our world when we decide to be for people again. So the question I wanna ask you today is a very simple one and you all have a real quick answer to this. I was talking with someone right before service who said, I already know who those people are. It was like quick, but it's who is broken in your life? Not what is broken, Get specific, who is broken? Who needs the grace and the mercy and compassion of Jesus? Maybe you're sitting next to them. So don't tell them that they're that person yet. <laughs> but who is broken in your life? Who, who needs to know? 
the life-changing power of Jesus? Who needs to know that God didn't just step down out of heaven like one step and say, I'm going to get kind of close, but you're dirty. I don't really want to interact with you. No, who actually put skin and bones on, became one of us, became flesh, made his home with us. Who's broken in your life? Your answer to that question is a really good indicator of where God wants to use you this year. It's a really good indicator that, that God has more for you, that God has a calling or a purpose. Maybe that person came up and, and they're a work, someone in your work group or someone in your employer-employer relationship. You know exactly who they are. Maybe it's a best friend or it could be a spouse or a child, a prodigal son or daughter who's ran away and you don't even wanna reach out to them right now. But you know, that's the person, that's the couple, that's the family member who is broken in your life. I was reflecting on this passage and this passage was one of the ones that really kind of kicked me in the butt as a pastor a couple of years ago. We were preaching uh, something about John 1, and it was leading up to Christmas. This is 2018. And I'd been wrestling with this for myself and asking God, who are you sending me to? It's really hard for me to get that sometimes as a professional paid Christian about who should I be reaching right now? Most of my family are Jesus followers, so I have to do a little bit more work, just like some of you, to get outside of that bubble and to connect with people. And so I decided to do something that to some of you sounds like utter torture. I decided to run with people. <laughs> I decided I'm gonna get a group of people together. I'm just gonna run with them. I don't know where their backgrounds are faith-wise. I'm just gonna start meeting with them. And so I created a Facebook group and decided that's what I'm gonna do. And so Monday night, we started meeting. The Byron Runners had their inaugural run together. We got together and there was a whole three people there, <laughs> which evangelistically speaking, Billy Graham would not be pleased with my efforts, right? But, but I said, I'm just gonna try something. And so... I got this group together, we started running, and I started to click with some of the guys who were coming. I started to have a connection with them. And it was like a couple runs in, the specific guy, uh, we'll call him Kyle. Kyle and I started running together, and it was fascinating. And, and Lindsay can attest to this, I was so excited because he really started to open up. I mean, he, he came every single Monday night to run these couple miles, and as we guzzled down air and water, in between those, he was sharing about his marriage falling apart and how much he hated his job, about how discontent he was with life. One of the things he said to me was, this is the best friend group I have. I'd known the guy for three weeks. This is the best community, the best friend group I have. I'll be here every Monday. And so we ran together. And the next Monday we ran together. And the next Monday we ran together. And in my head as a pastor, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. This is going exactly how I want it to go, right? Christmas is just around the corner. I'm going to invite Kyle to Christmas. Some of you have been at Christmas, even at Frontline. It's an incredible time to see people's lives turn around. I said, this is the guy. This is the broken person in my life. I'm going to invite Kyle. So it's the Monday night before Christmas, our Christmas Eve services. And I have the invite cards because I'm a good pastor in my car at all times. And so I pull this thing out as we're finishing the run. He's stretching out. I'm stretching out. I've got this invite card in my hand. I say, hey, man, before you leave, I don't know what your plans are for Christmas Eve. I knew he didn't have family he was gonna connect with in the area. I said, I would love for you to join Lindsay and I. We'll save you a seat at our Christmas Eve service. I would love for you to come. So I hand that invite card to him, and here's what in my mind, right? I'm a, a, bear with me. 
In my mind, I thought, this is the moment he will fall to his knees and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? He's going to ask, hey, can we get baptized in the water fountain right here? Like, I'm, I'm saved. John, thank you for inviting me. But that is not what happened. What happened was Kyle, as I extended out the invite card to him, pushed it right back in my face and said, I, I don't really need that. I'm good. I'm not really interested in that. My heart in that moment literally dropped into my shoes. I thought, I'm an utter failure. I am telling people every single weekend, invite your friends to church. You should come to Christmas. It's going to be amazing. And I try to invite someone who I've actually made a connection with, and they don't even want to come. What is wrong with this equation? And he never came. And we actually kind of lost touch following that very awkward interaction. What I reflected on months later, because my pride was hurt, number one. My leadership bravado was kind of sucked out in that moment. I was like, oh, I hope someone invites somebody to, to Christmas and they actually come. And they did. And lives were turned around at that Christmas Eve service, but it wasn't because of anyone I invited. So it's like February. I'm reflecting on this whole story. And what I felt God say to me, not in like an audible in the sky, but just like in the core of who I am. And some of you know what that's like. Just the inner, just sense this is what God is trying to say to me. Was John, I don't care if you fail at that. I don't care. But there is inherent danger in never trying. I don't care if people push invite cards back in your face. I don't care if people don't receive your text message or Facebook message to come to church with me or I'm praying for you, or, or join me for Easter, or join me for Christmas, or you, you want to get baptized? He, I don't think God cares about that as much as the danger that is inherent in the fact that we never try. We never allow ourselves to be sent out to someone who's broken in our world. We just stay complacent and comfortable and in our circle. We don't allow us to be a somebody. We don't allow our families to be somebodies. We don't allow our lives to model the very incarnation of Jesus. So I want to give you two quick next steps. You say, hey, I'm in. If this is you, no matter where you're at with faith, you may follow Jesus for a day or a year. Here's what you can do starting today. Two things, pick a name and stay engaged. Really, really simple. Some of you already have the name. When I ask who's broken in your life, like, boom, I know who it is. Pick a name and stay engaged. When you pick a name, you will begin to pray for the name. You'll think about the name. When you're in Meyer and you see someone struggling, you'll think about the name. When, when you have someone in your life whose life crumbles and falls apart, you'll be thinking about the name. And number two, I wanna encourage you to stay engaged because no one is going to do this work for you. And there's gonna be very few people outside of, of other disciples like this room who are gonna encourage you to keep being for people, keep, keep reaching people who are far, keep Keep allowing yourself to enter into messy and broken situations. And that's where we're headed these next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about how do you pursue lost people? How do you pursue different people? How do you pursue younger or older people who are not in your generational comfort zone? Because God has always been for people. How does God respond to a broken world? He sends somebody. He sends Jesus to you and I. So what I want to do is pray for you in this. And then we're going to close in worship. 
But some of you know that, that you need God's courage and boldness in this. You will not do this without a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's me too. That's what I need. And so I wanna encourage you, if you know that's you, as I begin to pray, would you just slip your hand up and say, yeah, I need that. I need that courage and boldness. It is not native to me, but I know God is calling me to do it. Maybe you're, you've recently moved or you're about to move and you need that going into that next community. You need that courage and boldness. So God, right now I'm praying for those friends who as they raise their hand, they know they need your help. And if, you're, if that's you, just slip your hand up real quick. I wanna pray specifically for you in this. Yeah, thank you, thank you. God, I pray for those people who know this is my next step. This is the thing. First of all, I pray that you would transform them, that you would reveal your love and your grace to them personally, because that's what really does change the world. But I also pray that you would allow them to be so full of your Holy Spirit boldness, power, supernatural love for other people, that it would bleed into every single relationship they have. For the person that came to mind, for the Kyles of their world, that you'd allow that grace to transform, whether they're really close neighbors or whether they just met them this week. God, break our heart for the people that break yours. We love you and we pray this in the strong and the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we respond to God together?